0: Hey ABC, I'm Kelsey, and I wanted to welcome you to our online service. I've got just a couple of announcements for you. The first one is I want to personally invite you to our Christmas Eve services. We're going to have two services on Saturday, December 24th, one at five o'clock and one at seven o'clock, and we're only going to be having childcare at the five o'clock service. And then since Christmas is on a Sunday this year, we will have one service on Sunday, December 25th, Christmas morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. Make sure that you invite your whole family, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite the person that you see at the gas station. We would love to see you there. Lastly, we're going to be sending out our annual giving letter soon, and we want to make sure that your letter actually gets to you. So if you could do us a huge favor and log into your MyABC account, which is our church's database, and make sure that your email address and your physical address are correct, we will be able to send you your letter. You can find your MyABC account by going to our church's website, abcchurch.org, and logging on to your MyABC account. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We're so glad that you're here, and we will see you soon.
1: Hi, ABC family. Thanks for tuning in. Here we are. We're just a week or so away from Christmas and um, I have a question for you. Can you think of a two word phrase that brings out just crazy amounts of conflict these days? How about happy holidays? That'll bring out some conflict, right? Some of you, you probably just shut me off right now because for some of you that means I have shied away intentionally from saying Merry Christmas and in doing so I have taken the cowardly way out and I have um, really understewarded my opportunity to be a witness for Jesus uh, during this holiday season. Some of you think I have just compromised my sanctification and done Jesus wrong by saying Happy Holidays rather than saying Merry Christmas. And others of you are just going, I don't see what the big deal is. I I honestly think that you just are wanting us to, to be happy and wishing us well. And maybe you're even wanting us to experience some joy this Christmas season, which is really what would be behind my use of that term, but it brings up all sorts of conflict and all sorts of, of infighting these days. And really the topic of the day in this Advent preaching series is joy. And I think that's what some people mean when they say happy holidays. We just want you to have some experience of happiness, some experience of joy as you gather together um, to celebrate Christmas. Which brings up a good question, what, what is joy? What do we mean by that? And I, I've done some research and I, um, I consulted some Greek scholars and when they take the word uh, in the New Testament, kara, that means joy, and they translate it, they say it means the experience of gladness. Or if you consult the Holman Bible Dictionary, it would say the happy state that results from knowing and serving God. So happiness and joy do go hand in hand. I, I personally think joy goes a little bit deeper than that. And I think the definition of the Holman Bible Dictionary helps unearth that. It's, it's from knowing and serving God. And you know, the Bible has an awful lot to say about joy and rejoicing. These two words, joy and rejoicing, they're, they're really synonyms. And they, they point to the same thing. Psalm 104 would tell us that wine causes the heart of man to rejoice. And if that's the case, you would think that Slow County or Paso Robles would be the happiest place on earth, not where Mickey Mouse lives, right? But, and it goes on, and and in the Song of Songs, the first four verses um, tell us that in God's design, physical intimacy between humans is a cause for joy, and it even specifies more so than wine. Proverbs 5 would say that we are to rejoice in the wife of our youth. And Psalm 113 says that the Lord gives a barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. So there is joy in some of the simple things of life, in in wine and in relationships and in growing of a family. But the question is, how do we keep, how do we find joy? How do we find it? How do we keep it? and today I have a simple outline. Uh, It's an acronym, J-O-Y. Jesus is the source of joy. O, obedience is the pathway of joy. And Y, yearning is the posture of joy. So as we dive in and search the scriptures for a better understanding of this acronym, let's invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name and we pray that you would guide us into the truth this morning. You would guide us into the truth of where we can find joy and how we can maintain joy and what it looks like to be a faithful steward of joy as we live on this earth. So um, lead us by your spirit into these scriptures now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the first point. Jesus is the source of joy. You know, there's a bunch of scripture passages that unpack this truth, but this morning, we're going to focus on Luke's birth narrative from chapter two, and we'll begin reading at verse eight. This is a very familiar passage. You, you have read it, I'm sure, many times, especially this time of year. And we'll pick it up in the middle, verse eight, and it says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So there, the angel just said, We have good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. And we notice immediately that the object of this good news is a savior. Matthew 1, 21 says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Literally, the the name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. So at the essence of this good news that the angel proclaims to the shepherds is this child who is a savior. And the birth of Jesus, the savior, the one who will save his people from their sins, this is the one who will make joy possible for all people. This is the good news of great joy. Why is it called good news that a savior is born? That's because the bad news biblically is that we are all steeped in sin and we're in desperate need of a savior. The Bible makes it very clear that we are all guilty. Romans 3 verse 10 says, None is righteous. No, not one. And it goes on in verse 23 of that same chapter, Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are sinners. We are not righteous. That is the bad news. There is a a separation between us and God. God also makes it real clear in Romans 6 that our guilt brings death. It goes on to say that the wages of sin is death, but there is eternal life in Jesus. The, the second half of Romans 6:23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul continues in chapter 8 of Romans and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you know that this is the good news. That though we are sinners, though we are, have been separated from God and we're born in that state, when we place our faith, hope, and trust in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, there's no condemnation. We are free. The, the debt for our sin has been paid. And the angel says, this good news is for all people, but how do I get in on it? And Romans 10 says this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's good news for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Romans 10 verses nine and 10, it says, if you confess, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if you're just now realizing that this is true of you, that you are one who has been born in sin and you're steeped in sin, there's a separation between you and God and you're wondering why maybe he doesn't hear your prayers and you're frustrated with that, Maybe now it's time to call on the name of the Lord. There's no better time than now to call on the name of the Lord, to trust Jesus, the sinless savior, and believe that he is all that you need. And to do so would be to repent. You would, you would agree that you're a sinner. You would say, yeah, God, I believe what you say about me. I am a sinner. And I ask humbly that you would forgive me for my sin and you would turn away from it. If this is your sin over here, you would literally repent. You would say, I agree that I'm a sinner and I'm leaving that in my rearview mirror and I'm turning and I'm going this way and I'm following Jesus. And then you pray and you pray something like this. You would say, Lord, I agree that I'm a sinner and that apart from you, I can do nothing. I'm sorry for my sin, please forgive me for my sin. I want you to come into my life. I want you to renovate my life. Show me what it means to walk after you faithfully as your disciple. Fill me with your spirit and show me what the abundant life that you've purchased for me looks like. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. And if you prayed that with me, perhaps for the first time, you can bet that all of heaven is now rejoicing with you because you have received this good news of great joy that is for all the people. And the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 7, it says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is why the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a great joy. The angels know that Jesus is the source of joy. And Jesus is the source of all joy, right here on earth and in heaven. And you are looking at me now and you say, I, I get that, Gerald, but these days, this is a messed up world, and I struggle to maintain joy. So, how do I find a fuller experience of joy? I get that Jesus is my source of joy, but. How do I get a fuller experience of that right here on earth? And that brings us to our second point, the point that obedience is the pathway to joy. And this may sound wrong to you. It might sound legalistic or works-based, like it's contrary to the biblical fact that Jesus does the work of the Father for our salvation. So that's why I want you to lean in and to listen to Jesus himself as he says this in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. We'll begin reading at verse one. And again, this is another familiar passage. I'm sure you've read it before. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes Did you notice, as we read through that, that this, this whole passage is grounded in love? It's, it's grounded in the inter-Trinitarian love that has existed from before eternity past, before the act of creation. Jesus is saying that he has loved his disciples, these people that he originally spoke these words to, as he himself has been loved by the Father. And he gives his disciples in this 11 verses, he gives three clear commands. Verse 4, he says, abide in me. That's a command. Abide in me. And to abide means to to remain connected, just like a branch is connected to the vine. We need the vine to bear fruit. We're, We're greatly loved by this perfect God. And he says, come into my house as family. Make yourself at home. Stay as one who is warmly welcomed. Abide in me. The second command he gives is in verse 7, and that's the word ask. That's a command. In other words, pray. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask. And whatever, I better read it because I can't remember it. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a command, we ask, so prayer is commanded of us. And then in verse nine, he says, abide in my love. So he commands us to abide in him, to ask whatever we wish, and to abide in his love. And the next logical question is, well, I love the idea of this. I I want to abide in the love of Christ. How do I do that? And this is one of those passages where he just makes it so clear, verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, we abide in his love by obeying him. We do the work that he commands us to do. And that's the central idea of discipleship, really. In in John 6, 29. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in he whom he has sent. The one work that God requires is that we believe in Jesus, the one whom he has sent. And what were Jesus' words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We make disciples by baptizing them. We proclaim the gospel, the good news of great joy to them. Some hear and respond in faith and those who respond in faith, the rest of our lives we invest in teaching them to keep or obey all that Jesus has commanded. Do you see how much obedience matters to Jesus? He explained this to his disciples, he commissioned his disciples to teach others the importance of obedience, and in fact his entire life has been a living demonstration of what obeying the Father looks like. As Jesus kept the Father's commandments, he abided in the Father's love. And now Jesus calls us, his disciples, to abide in his love by following his example, by keeping his commands. So then the next logical question is why, Gerald? Why should I abide? Why should I obey? What's in it for me? And Jesus makes that clear in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy would be full. You see, Jesus is our source of joy. As we abide in him, and as we abide in his love by keeping his commandments, his joy becomes our experience. If we want more joy in our lives, if I want more joy in my life, I can take him at his word and I can obey Jesus' commands. Abide, ask, keep his commandments. You know, I spent 32 years of my life trying to live life according to my own rules I thought that there was freedom and happiness and joy to be found in following my own will But what I have come to experience is that after 32 years, bowing the knee to Jesus, repenting Turning from my sin, turning to Christ and now seeking to order my life according to his word and live in humble obedience to his commands, I can look you in the eye and say with a smile on my face, there is no greater joy, there is no more abundance in life than when I order my life according to the commands of God. He created us to experience love. And all of his commands are that we would experience that love and have an overflowing experience of joy, fullness of joy. Jesus is not a killjoy. In fact, it's just the opposite. His commands are designed for us to experience joy. He's our source of joy. And he wants us to have joy overflowing to to its fullness. He shows us that in his final words here in John 15, verse 11. That's his heart. His loving heart for you is that you would experience joy, that I would experience joy and that our joy would be full. He's our source of joy and when we obey Jesus, that's how we walk down the pathway to a fuller experience of joy. Well, is that just it? Is that all? Does God just want us to be a joyful people? The short answer is yes, he does. But it bears a fruit because joy produces a posture of yearning that fuels faithfulness here on this earth. And that's our third and final point. Yearning is the posture of joy. Yearning is the posture of joy that fuels endurance in the face of pain here on earth as we live in a fallen world. We all face circumstances in this life that are just painful. These circumstances, they they tempt us and lure us toward compromise. We're, We're tempted to take the easy way out, to follow the way of the world, to fulfill the desires of the flesh, to seek relief rather than leaning in to the hardship or to the pain. I think you know what what I mean. I think you know what I mean when I say we all face painful, hard circumstances. Some of you are feeling it right now. You're facing financial stress from inflation, from underemployment, or from unemployment and you're tempted to cheat on your taxes or to stop giving to the church or to do any number of other things to just preserve your life others of you are tempted to work late and to fall into the arms of that compassionate coworker who just seems to listen a little more intently than that spouse that you have at home others of you are facing loneliness You're tempted to find companionship in all the wrong places for all the wrong reasons. And still others, well, name your own set of painful circumstances. You're tempted to escape or to self-medicate in any number of ways that will somehow dull the pain if even just for a minute. You know the pain and you know your own unique temptations. And God shows us how to face these circumstances, how to face and lean into the trial of these circumstances. Listen with me to Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1. The author of Hebrews writes Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, for Jesus, his joy was was grounded in the future reality that was set before him. Jesus longed to be back at the right hand of the Father, back home with the Father. Remember, you and I had a soul that started at the point of conception. That's not true for Jesus. Jesus has always existed and his soul took on flesh and he was born as a humble baby. So he knows what it was like to be in loving conversation and relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And now we see here, even while he's on earth, he's homesick. He's longing to be back in that reality, back into that relationship together with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Picture it in your mind. It's almost as though you can see Jesus leaning in toward heaven, tuning his ear to the voice of the heavenly song and straining his eyes to see the reality that awaited him there. Jesus' joy was grounded in this heavenly reality and it produced in him a yearning that motivated him to endure the shame and the pain of Calvary's cross. He did it for the joy that was set before him. You see, yearning is the heavenward posture of a heart influenced by joy resulting in endurance as we face painful circumstances on this earth. For Jesus, joy produced a a yearning for the experience of the gladness that would only exist if people were reconciled to God, unified in God. Jesus yearned to see people enjoying the love of God unhindered by sin. That joy, his yearning for that joy motivated him to endure the cross as our substitute, absorbing the shame on himself, enduring the pain in his own body because that future reality was worth it. You see, joy is to create a posture of yearning in us as well. I remember several years ago, a decade or so ago, when I was a student in seminary, this time of year, the fall, like leading up to Christmas, was always hectic. It was that time in the semester where the semester was coming to a close, and I was writing theological papers and doing group projects and, and working on uh, big outlines. And I remember one night coming home about 11 p.m. from an elder meeting at church and brewing a cup of coffee and sitting down at the kitchen table and setting out to write a comprehensive outline of the book of Daniel and all I wanted to do was go to sleep. All I could think about was, hey, Gerald, your alarm is set at 4.30 a.m. tomorrow so that you can get up and go to work at six. And all I wanted to do was go to sleep. But I pressed on, and you know what it is that kept me going? You know what it is that, that fueled me through those late nights? It was knowing that just a few short days down the road, the semester would be over, the projects would be completed, handed in, the tests would be done, and I would be experiencing a different reality, a reality that didn't have homework in it, a reality that I was freed to enjoy my family, and a reality in which I was freed to actually sit down on the couch and watch some football. It was that joy, that knowing that that better day was coming, that fueled me on and made me do the work that I needed to do in order to get there. And that's a terrible example from very simple and simplistic circumstances. But it's the same flavor, it's the same thing. Knowing that our eternity is secure with Jesus, knowing that there's a better day coming that will never end, where all of our sorrows will be gone, every tear will be wiped away, that joy that is there with Jesus in heaven at the right hand of the Father, that fuels us on to face our suffering here in this earth. That fuels us on to do the work that's required to get there. That fuels us on to push against sin rather than embracing it. To grow in holiness rather than to grow in gratifying the desires of the flesh. Because this joy that's there with Jesus in heaven is an unshakable joy. That's a future reality that will come about and it creates a yearning within us that motivates how we live right now, right here on this earth. The anticipation of our experience of gladness when we're perfectly reconciled to God and unified in God, enjoying the love of God unhindered by sin That is what motivates us to faithfully endure our struggles right here on this earth. So church, I trust that we all want to experience some happy holidays this Christmas season. And we want to have a merry Christmas. And if you want to experience a season of abundant joy, let's look to Jesus, recognizing that he is the source of our joy, let's call on him Let's recognize that our joy is grounded in him. It's unshakable, it's secure, and our future reality in his presence is what our joy is grounded in. Let's realize that we do have some control over the amount of joy that we experience here in life. Joy comes in direct correlation to our level of obedience to the commands of Jesus. Let's intentionally walk down this path toward a fuller joy. Let's be people who are sold out for Jesus and who are resolved to obey him. As we open and read his word and hear how he wants us to live, let's lean in and obey, knowing that these commands are not to kill our joy, but they're actually to give us a fuller experience of that joy. Our joy grows in fullness as we choose to obey God and his word. And lastly, let's allow our joy to create in us a posture of yearning. And let's let that yearning motivate us to endure whatever painful circumstances the Lord has allowed into our life in this season. This yearning is is a heavenward posture. See, because our eyes are fixed on Jesus and he's there at the right hand of God in heaven. It's a heavenward posture of the heart that's been influenced by joy that produces endurance to face the pain and the shame and the suffering of the trials that exist here on this earth in a fallen world. Church, Jesus came to give us his joy. It's his joy and he wants us to experience it and he wants us to experience it in its fullness. And so we look to him, we lean into him We recognize He is the source, and following Him in obedience leads us down a path toward a fuller experience of His joy. I don't know what He's asking of you right now, but let's pray, let's tune our ears to His voice, and let's follow His commands. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, thanking you for these truths that you've made so clear to us through your word and asking you right now, Lord, what does the next faithful step look like for us to experience a more full joy, for us to be actually overflowing with joy, and in so doing, being able to influence our neighbors, our family, the people that you have put us in community with, our the people that we bump into in the supermarket, Lord, we want your joy to get all over them through us. So would you please? enable that to be our reality we thank you and we praise you and we look to you we fix our eyes on you we want to imitate you we want to represent you faithfully right here as we gather together as well as when we scatter into our own homes into our own neighborhoods we want to represent you well and we want to experience all the joy that you purchased for us so would you bring that about by the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of your own name. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. And as we part and as we go our separate ways, let me remind you of this truth from Romans chapter 15. This is verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Have a great week, church. We love you.